Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Good morning, Bethlehem Covenant Church. Thanks so much for joining us here on this 27th of August. Uh, Hope you are doing well. Um, We have uh, started this past week our youth groups over at the Cove, the Breakout and Collide Middle School and High School Youth Groups with our new youth pastor, Tobias, and his fiancee, Brenna, and all other team of volunteers, and it has been going great. Uh, They have a wonderful group of kids coming, uh, some 30-plus in high school and 20-plus in middle school uh, that they're doing ministry over, so keep them in your prayers, and if you've got a kid in the neighborhood who wants to come over, our youth group is always open, and they're doing great things over there. This week, we start our BCC Kids Midweek, which will meet at the church on Wednesday nights, and it'll be an Awana-like program uh, for kids in elementary, and it is wonderful, led by Pastor Jessica and her team, and uh, so bring your kids out to that, and we also start our small groups this week, all our small group Bible studies. We have many of them, whether they are a women's group or a men's group or whatever, um, we have them, and they're listed in our church email and you can find them, or if you need more information, you can call my, my office there, and, and we'll talk to you about them. Um, but it's a great way to grow deeper in Christ, and so we're excited about that. We still have a few spots open to volunteer at different things for Community Closet or Backpack Program. If you're interested, let me know, or my wife, Carrie, who runs the Backpack Program, let her know. And then also just wanted to mention that uh, this Saturday, we have our men's breakfast and, uh, and we do that once a month, and uh, we meet and have a great uh, meal together and just fellowship time and a little devotion. We meet at the Hy-Vee on 84th Street there um, and uh, at 8 o'clock, and so come on out to that if you have a chance and eat with us and have a good time. Well, this morning we continue on in our sermon series that we begun a few weeks ago called The People of God. And we're really going through the book of Acts together and learning again what it is, rediscovering what it means to be God's people, to be the church, and how it all began. And so we're on Acts 2 today. I'm going to read the whole chapter for us. And then we're going to dive into mostly Peter's sermon and what he says there and what it means and then what happens of this new community of faith that forms uh, as people come to faith. It says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not these men all Galileans? How then is it that each of us hears them in their own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Pesamotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, uh, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed by this, one of them said, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have just had too much wine. Well, Peter stood up among, among the eleven and raised his voice to address the crowd. 
Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is spoken of in the prophet Joel, that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on the servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they'll prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great and coming day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's purpose and knowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I won't be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body will also have hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and fill me with the joy of your presence. Brothers, I tell you confidently that David died and was buried in his tomb is there right to this day. But he was just a prophet. But God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on a throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor his body see decay. Well, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses to the fact. He is exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the, the Holy Spirit, which he has now poured out, which you can now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to the Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. So let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the others, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift uh, uh, of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and all who are far off for all whom our Lord and God will call. With many other words, he, he warned them and pleaded with them to save themselves from the corrupt generation. And those who accept his, his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added just that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, and everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had a need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, breaking bread in their homes and eating together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." What a great chapter in the Bible. We're going to look deeper at this, but first I want to just ask you a question I want you to think about. Has there ever been a time in your life when you really felt on fire for the Lord? Or you just felt His presence more than at other times? And a lot of people, you know, say that they feel the Lord most or felt the Lord most in their life when they've gone through their trials, you know, their sufferings. And I can say, I know that too. 
in some of the hardest times of my life, I have come to know Christ deeper and come to trust in him more and felt his love and forgiveness, his comfort and his peace. It is true that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. But that fire, that's what I'm talking about today. Have you ever felt on fire for the Lord? Like our scripture talks about when the Holy Spirit came upon these believers in the upper room, it was like a wind knocked them over and a fire came to rest on each of them. It lit something inside of them, right? There have been a few times in my life when I really did feel like this. I think about my third year of college. There were these five or six students that transferred into North Park where I was going, and they came from Covenant Bible College. Our denomination used to have a Bible college in Alberta, Canada. as a one-year program, and these kids came from there, transferred to North Park in Chicago. And I would have to say that they were on fire for the Lord. There was something different about them and about their faith. I mean, we all believed, but they were on fire at the age of 19 and 20. I mean, and I'm not talking obnoxious or just preachy, but it was a lived out faith. It was real. It was a true love for Christ and a passion and a desire to know him more and to serve. And it was contagious. It really was. I mean, they came in and they wanted to start Bible studies on our campus. And I happened to be around and they invited me to one. And I had never been to a group like this before where 19 and 20-year-olds brought their Bibles and their Bibles were actually used and worn out. And, and, and we opened them and people were talking about what we were reading. They weren't just giving an answer, but really seeking with a purpose and taking notes. And they were praying on campus, and over the next couple years, we legitimately had a revival on our campus. Attendance at chapel and campus life went way up. The word I would use is alive. Uh, my faith was lit that year. It came more alive, as others did. Another time I had this fire was a few years later when I was at seminary, living by myself in an apartment, and I met these four or five different other young adults, you know, and we were hanging out as friends one Sunday afternoon, and it was, what do you want to do? And, and someone just had the idea, let's go to the center of campus where there's these grassy areas and trees and stuff, and and it's a nice night, bring your guitar and Bible, and let's just have some worship together. And we went, just five or six of us, and I strummed some 90s camp songs that I knew, and we sang, but as we did, something happened, like something hit our hearts. We opened the Bible there that night, and we just read and we just shared honestly with each other. And something happened. Something came alive in us. Something was lit. A hunger, a passion, a purpose, a desire to get closer to God and to do what he wants. And so walking home, we were just excited. And we just said, next Sunday night, let's do the same. 
So we met there again, and next thing we knew, there were 30, 40 people our age who were coming, and we were doing services, and we were even doing mission trips, and we were walking and praying in our neighborhoods, you know, and meeting people from the apartments and the campus and inviting them and, and making new friends. And we gave this, this thing, we called it alive, because that is how we felt, alive in Christ. And this is was so important in my seminary years because I was in the classroom lots and I was learning Greek and it was hard and all this deep theology and it's all good stuff. But alive was the passion. It was the personal. It was out of the classroom and into the community. It was real people encountering a real God and spending time with him and each other, finding what life was worth living for, you know, and, it, and something was lit again. It was during that time when I met Carrie, and she was this amazing girl who read her Bible during lunch in her car, and she'd have notebooks on the passenger seat of things that she had learned and journaled, and she just had such a love for Jesus not a Sunday faith, but a faith that spilled out into everything. I guess I'm asking you is if you've ever had a time in your life you remember like this, when you were on fire for the Lord and something was lit in you. In our chapter, that's what we're reading. That's what happened at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit igniting these 120 believers as they gathered in the upper room to pray. The Lord put a passion and a purpose in their heart and also gave them the power, the push, the ability to go into all of the world with the truth of what they had now seen and known about Jesus. They were his witnesses. They watched him die on a cross and rise again. They'd been with him for three years and heard all of his teachings and saw all of his miracles. And now filled with the Holy Spirit, they burst out of that upper room. That is how the church began, with an explosion that moved them out. And I love that. I have told some of you about this thing that happened in the church I was in in Chicago, but I was an intern there, and though some of you have heard this, it's good to mention again because it fits. But the church I was in was small and getting older, but it was on the corner of a busy and multi-ethnic part of Chicago. The neighborhood had been changing for decades, but the church had not, and it was dying. And yet right across the street was now a middle school, every day full of life, while inside the church we were dying. But God wanted to light us on fire. He cared about our neighborhood. He wanted to do something. So what happened first was that we started to notice all these middle school kids were walking across the street and sitting on our church steps after school, at least a dozen or so of them. And we had no idea that the reason that they were sitting there was because they felt safe there. We would learn that later, for there was a lot of unwholesome activity in our neighborhood, and these kids, mostly boys around 13 and 14 years old, felt safe sitting on our steps. They were left alone there. Well, at first, when we saw these kids, we saw only the problem. They were blocking our doorway, leaving trash on our steps, goofing off, and we wanted to get rid of them. Until in one of our board meetings, one guy, the guy that you would have least expected, said, maybe God is 
brought them to us. Maybe this is why we're still here. And so right in the middle of the meeting, he got up and he walked outside and he introduced himself to the boys. He sat down next to them, asked them where they're from, what their names were, and just started talking. And later that week, another of our board members brought a football after school and came and just threw the football. And a game began. And to make a long story short, we all came to realize the Lord was calling our church to youth ministry. This was our neighborhood now. And it was time our church went outside and got to know the people, bringing Jesus to them. We started to feed them, which brought more kids and adults too. And people from the houses and apartments would come out to our weekly barbecue on the front lawn. And older folks who had been in that church their whole life were now meeting their neighbors and making new friends. And friends were starting to come to worship. And our church was changing. We were alive again, moved by the Holy Spirit outside. We didn't just decide one day to do youth ministry. The school was across the street, and the Lord even brought them over to our doorstep for us. And our people, who had never done anything like this before, had been lit with a passion now for middle schoolers. It was like we hadn't even noticed it was there until God literally put it at our doorstep. And it was like we hadn't even thought about who lived in all these apartments or houses around us in our neighborhood. We haven't even noticed them when we went off to church until the day we did. How can a church get so focused inside that it fails to notice who's outside? As believers, our churches, this is so easy for us to fall into this same thing. But the Holy Spirit, when we're open to him, breathes new life into the upper room and lights a fire in our heart and puts a passion and a purpose with his power in us to do what Jesus now is calling us to do. This is how the church began. This is what we're reading in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes upon those believers, moves them out of the upper room, and right outside their door, for us it was middle schoolers, for them it was crowds showing up to Pentecost. All these travelers from around the world, Jesus had brought them to Jerusalem. And people coming thought they were going to Jerusalem for the Pentecost, for the festival. They had no idea God was about to change their life. In our chapter, it mentions 15 different places where these people come from. Cappadocia, Asia, Egypt, Mesopotamia. And if you look at an ancient map, you notice these 15 different places are located north, south, east, and west of Jerusalem. It mentions Jews and Arabs and Gentiles. In other words, the Lord brings the world to them so that they can preach the gospel to the world. The world is right outside their door. And now with the power of the Spirit, they're able to be his witnesses. And so each person arriving hears the gospel in their own language, and the miracle causes them to say, what's going on? And a crowd starts gathering. The disciples don't have to advertise. They don't have to give out donuts to get people to come. God gathers the crowd. And so Peter stands up and addresses the crowd. He preaches his first sermon. 
And just like Jesus had promised the disciples that in moments like this, he would give them the words to say just when they needed them. And we see that. This sermon isn't just Peter. The Holy Spirit is helping him with authority and power, he speaks. And Peter explains the scriptures to them. He tells them what the people are seeing is the Holy Spirit, not some drunken madness, and that the Holy Spirit was foretold in the Old Testament in the book of Joel. And Peter starts quoting it from memory. The whole thing. And this is an important scripture to the Jews because it spoke about the last days, the end times, that new age that God was going to usher in, the kingdom that they were hoping for. And Peter is saying to them, it's here. It's already begun. Jesus was the Messiah who died and rose again and he ushered in the new kingdom, a new day, and all who call on the name of the Lord now will be saved. And then Peter starts talking all about Jesus and how he was from Nazareth. And the crowd knew about him because they had heard about him. And he, Peter spoke about all the things that he had seen, the miracles which they had all heard about. Peter then turns and tells them of God's plan to redeem the world on a cross and how Jesus had been turned over to wicked men who put him to death, but God raised him from the dead and their witnesses to this fact. And the proof, Peter says, is the Holy Spirit they see. For the coming of the Holy Spirit was that final proof that Jesus was indeed the Messiah and ascended into heaven and gives out the Spirit that they now see. Peter ends his sermon by saying, So let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both the Lord and the Christ. And I love verse 37 where it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the others, What shall we do? What do we do about this? I love that response. I think it should be our response. Every time we read the Bible, every time we do our devotions, listen to a sermon, like, what shall we do, God, with what you've taught us here, with what we know about you? Peter's response becomes the way of salvation for us. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, repent means turn away from your life of sin and disbelief. And turn towards Christ as your Lord and Savior. Turn to God. Stop doing life your way and do it His. A righteousness not by our works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Repent, he says. It's, it's both the acknowledgement of sin as well as a belief in Jesus as the one who can save us from our sin. This is what repentance really means. It means I leave the one way and I turn fully to the other. Peter says, if you do this, if you repent and turn to Christ, which is that baptism, what it symbolizes is it just that sense of new birth in Christ. He says, you're going to receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your kids who are far off, all who call on the name of the Lord. Now, maybe it's just me, but when I read this scripture, I noticed something Peter didn't say. Peter says, repent and be baptized. You'll receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But what stood out for me is what Peter doesn't say. He doesn't say anything about eternal life. And that is one of the things that we tend to focus in on most. Believe in Jesus and receive eternal life. Go to heaven someday. Peter doesn't talk about that. Peter will speak about that in other sermons. The Bible's full of scriptures that tell us if we believe in Christ, we'll have eternal life. But Peter doesn't say anything about that here in his first sermon as a reason for them to believe. You're going to get eternal life. He doesn't mention that as a, as a way to, to draw them in. 
And maybe it's because he thought Jesus was going to come back so soon that none of them were going to die. I don't know, but I, I thought about how we have made today salvation primarily be about what happens to us after we die. Believe in Jesus and you get to go to heaven. We focus a lot on that. But the problem with that gospel is that it implies that all God is interested in is what happens to you when you die and, and where we go. And so then this life only becomes believing the right thing about Jesus so we get to go to heaven, as if that's the only part of the gospel or part of what God wants. And, and I don't think that's what the early church believed. For them, God was doing a whole new thing in the world. Christ was seated on the throne. The Spirit had come to now have us be able to do life with God in His power. The kingdom was now among us. Sure, they were waiting for the fulfillment of Christ's return and, and trusted in the life after death, but these early believers were focused on right now and how right now they could have forgiveness with God and they could receive the Holy Spirit and live for Him. That was their focus. They were experiencing God every day. He was doing wonders and miracles in their lives and in the lives of strangers. Every day they had new purpose and power. I think somewhere along the line of history, we strayed away from this and our faith is often just Sundays and waiting for heaven. We need the Lord to reignite a fire in us as a people to see and to know his presence now and to be alive with his purposes and power by the Spirit, to find our life in Christ, not just our afterlife, but here and now to deeply know him and live for him and see him. This is going to sound maybe just a little weird to you. But the experience of God is not always in the big stuff, but in the daily little things. And, and so for me, I had no voice last week. I mean, before church, if you would have been here, I literally, I had nothing. I mean, I thought I was going to have to use the recorded sermon instead of me because I could not speak anything. But I just prayed before service and I... And I can only tell you what I felt, but I felt that as I stood up here last Sunday to preach, the words out of my mouth when I started reading that scripture, I felt breath and air enter my lungs and come out. I am not kidding you. I feel God gave me the ability to get the words out. And what's interesting is that after service, I was surprised and I privately prayed, thanks God for that. And I kind of felt God saying back to me, don't you believe what you preach? Why are you surprised? But again, do we believe and ready for God to work today in our life and around our life? Sometimes the fire for the Lord comes when we realize he's here right now. And he, he cares about heaven for you, but he also cares about today and this week and the plans that he's got for you and your school and work and church or community and what he's so excited to do right there. And he wants you to do it with him. Are you open to that? 
right? This is the message of the first sermon of that, that first church service that took the apostles out of the upper room and onto the streets where the people were, where the people that God had brought to, to them were. And it says in verse 41, those who accepted the message of Jesus were baptized, and that day 3,000 were added to their number. Just like that. They went from 120 to 3120 in a day. Now, I just want to say one thing here about the last part of our chapter. For the last verses of chapter 2 tell us that when those 3,000 came to faith in Christ, they immediately joined in with the others, with the apostles, and were a part of the family of God, that community of faith. And verses 42 to 45 describe what that community of faith looked like. It says the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miracles were done. All the believers were together, had everything in common, sold goods to share with others in need, ate together, praised God together, enjoyed the favor and friendship of each other, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What we see in this early church is that when somebody came to faith, they were immediately brought in and discipled and cared for. They were looked after. You know, it's almost like people who suffer with addictions and how when breaking free, they don't do it alone. They got to do it together. They need a community of like-minded people to support them, and they regularly go to meetings to stay strong, and they got a sponsor, all because they need accountability and help to live a brand new life. And we see the same thing with that church. These new believers didn't just go back to life before Christ, but now in the Spirit, they did life together. And four things are mentioned. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which means when we become a Christian, it's important that we learn now about God's word and be taught. You know, we may be saved, but now we need to be discipled. We need to grow in that faith. All of us must devote ourselves to the teaching of God's word and learning and applying it, no matter the age. Which means, you know, we put ourselves in places to grow. We get in the gym, so to speak, which in our case would be going to a small group or coming to church or reading and studying the word in your own life. Like Carrie taking your Bible to lunch and taking notes, you're learning. So those early believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It says they also devoted themselves to the fellowship. I mean, they were committed to the other Christians, doing life together. We become like the people that we are around most. Even though we need to get beyond these walls, we also must be committed to building deeper relationships with the people within these walls. That's where we gain our strength and our faith, encouragement and accountability. It's from the family of God. We refine one another, pray for one another, learn together. You know, that's that we, we endure in Christ with the encouragement of each other. Jesus even said, when two or more gather in my name, I'm going to be there. In other words, he's calling us to community. He's saying, go make friends in the church. That's what he's saying, because I'm going to be a part of that, he's saying. And so it says in our verses, everyday people met together, you know. And so I would think, ask you to think about it. Like, how often are you around the family of God? Could you find a way to be more around the people of God? How involved are you in the life of the church and the people within it? Are you just living your own life, showing up for a service now and again, walking in and walking out? Or are you really connecting? Are you ready to do life together with these people? Because God wants that for you. Are you praying for people in your church, following up with somebody with a text or a phone call after a surgery, looking to maybe have breakfast or lunch with somebody just to get to know them better, inviting another family over, you know, for a meal at your house or looking to serve in some way? 
our chapter says the people sold goods to help one another. I mean, they were so committed, devoted to the fellowship. Third, it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread, which most likely refers to communion and to worship, but it also means just eating together. And how every time they broke bread in their homes, it reminded them of Jesus and how he broke bread around the Last Supper. Told us whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And bread is literally at every meal in the Middle East. That means that every meal they're reminded of the goodness of God and the sacrifice of Christ. How often do you think about the Lord? How often does he come across your mind? And the fourth and last thing it says is they were devoted to prayer. And again, just like last week, we were reminded that the church was birthed out of prayer. They were all praying when the Holy Spirit came. We are a people who pray. We talk to God, our Father, every day. We share our heart, our sins, our needs, our praises. We just talk. We pray when we're apart, and we pray when we're together. It's what we do. We pray at meals. We pray as couples for our marriages and for our kids. We pray with our kids so they can hear us and learn from us. We have elders of the church that come lay hands on you and pray for you when you're sick. Prayer has always been a part of who we are as the people of God. So our scripture says that as the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayer, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. He does the miracles and the addition. We just obey. So this week, I encourage you, think about your life. Have you ever had one of those moments when you were on fire for the Lord? Ask him to light that fire in you again and move you to pursue his purposes and his ways. Take a moment to think about what it means that Jesus not only saves you for after death, but he saves you for right now and the things he wants to do. He is risen and wants to be part of your day and your plans, and he's calling you outside. Think about what it also means for you to be a part of this church, these people. Think about those four areas that are mentioned here. Devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread and prayer. Are these things an important priority for you? I hope so. Holy Spirit, light the fire in us again. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.